Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Good evening, everyone. How are you? Yeah, good. Brilliant. A few of you doing really well. Um, I've got a couple of questions for you as we begin tonight. Is it okay if I ask you a couple of questions? Cool. Well, the first one is, what's your first port of call when life is going pretty rubbish? What's your first port of call when life is pretty down in the dumps, when you've hit rock bottom? Maybe something comes to mind or somebody comes to mind. And the second question is, Have you ever woken up in the morning and looked around and thought, great, another day in the belly of a fish? (laughs) No, you haven't. And neither have I, because this is a ridiculous story that we're looking at tonight. We're looking again at the story of Jonah that we have mysteriously titled, What Lies Beneath what lies beneath the oceans, what lies beneath the motives of our actions and our humanity, and what lies at the heart of who God is, who he's revealed himself to be throughout history. It's a fascinating story. The story of Jonah is unlike any other that you'll find in scripture. Um, And if you weren't here last week when we kicked it off, and you've never read this story before, we don't expect you to come with with loads of knowledge and have read it even at all. So I'm going to do a quick recap, a quick kind of last week in Jonah, what you missed feature. Um, So Jonah is basically, he's the Mr. Bean of the Old Testament. He's just a ridiculous guy. He gets in sort of all these sort of crazy mishaps happen to him, except he doesn't just stumble from gaff to gaff in hilarious fashion. It's a little bit more sinister than that. He's a prophet of God. He's a missionary of God, but he chooses his own path instead of God's path, and it leaves him in all sorts of bother. Whatever God asks him to do, he says and he does the opposite. He's scared, he's selfish, he's disobedient, he's lazy, and there's also something really comical about this story. Despite Jonah being asleep under the deck as he tries to get away from God's plan for him, the sailors on the boat, they find God and they meet with God. And when they find out that Jonah is the cause of the storm, they hurl him into the depths of the Mediterranean Sea and he gets swallowed by this massive shark, fish, whale, sea beast, sea monster kind of thing that, to be honest, nobody's ever really understood. So that's where we start from today. And instead of chapter one's fast and furious paced storytelling, in chapter two, the author just slows it right down. And we just have this prayer, this solitary prayer from a very lonely man who's at his wit's end. So if we open up our Bibles um, to Jonah chapter two, um, if you've got a Bible with you and you're not sure where it is, you can look at the index, no shame in that, or you can turn kind of towards the, the end of the Old Testament, it's kind of a little bit before Jesus turns up in Matthew. So let's read Jonah's prayer together. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, 
And he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers, they swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. And I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And his prayer finishes. And all it tells us at the end of the chapter is, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Wow. Should we just pray for a second? Yeah, God, we just continue to pray what we've been singing Spirit of the living God, come and fall afresh on us. Maybe some of us have heard you speak before. Maybe some of us have never really heard you kind of intercept our thoughts and guide the path of our lives. But God, as a a family, we want to say we're up for that tonight. Would you use this slightly crazy story, God, and would you speak to us? your children, about how we should live? Would you reveal more about who you are? And would it lead us to worship you more and more, living God? Amen. Amen. So as we've seen in this prayer, Jonah is really at rock bottom. And I want to ask you one more question, and I'll stop asking you questions, I'll stop interrogating you. What does rock bottom look like for you? Is it a failed exam? Is it a failed driving test? Past fourth time, I know what that feels like. Is it a relationship that isn't working out? Is it a job application that you haven't heard back from? Is it when you've barely got enough money to see the week out, or even when family life gets difficult, or you feel really guilty for something that you said or done in the past. Being human is not easy. In fact, it can be really, really hard. And no point does the Christian faith offer an easy ride. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And if there is one thing that being stuck in a fish for three days and three nights represents, it's got to be trouble. It's being at the end of yourself. It's having no control on the situation that you find yourself in. It's being at the mercy of other forces and it's being able, not being able to dictate what happens in your life, even to any degree. Can you picture that? Jonah begins his prayer. He says, in my distress, I. And before we get stuck into his words, how would you finish that sentence? 
Be honest with yourself. In my distress, I, when you're writing your autobiography, when you're writing your epitaph, what would it say? Would it say, in my distress, I had a pity party, bought loads of dairy milk chocolate, and watched Mean Girls on repeat? Would it say, in my distress, I watched Jeremy Kyle to make myself feel way easier about my own problems? Would it say, in my distress, I phoned my mum or my best friend and had a good long chat with them? Would it say, in my distress, I came up with a really clever strategy and I fixed the problem myself? Or maybe you would say, in my distress, I retreated from the world, didn't talk about it to anybody, and I kept my problems to myself. Verse 1 of Jonah's prayer. In my distress, I called to the Lord. Sometimes we need to hit rock bottom before we have any idea of what it means to pray. Prayer is really when the essence of who we are, when everything gets stripped away, when we've got nothing left to go with, meets God. When we're really honest with him about our own failings and about where we're at. Prayer is wrestling with God for breakthrough in our lives and in the world around us, just like we've been doing. And I've spoken about this before, back in November, and I'm certainly not the world's most faithful prayer, trust me. But a couple of years ago, um, even though I do loads of singing and a bit of speaking around here, my voice got really, really sore. I just couldn't really do anything that I used to without being in lots of pain, and I'm still kind of in that a little bit. But one of the things that's come out of that is that I swear, before that happened, I had no idea how to pray. I just kind of said a few things that came into my head that felt good. But actually, prayer is when everything we have gets stripped away and we can just be truly honest with God and wrestle with him and petition with him and say, come on, God, I really, really need you. We all need that fresh perspective that the Holy Spirit brings when we really get to grips with what it means to pray. And it's easy, isn't it, to look at the guys in the scriptures, in the Bible, and just say, well, you know, they're the heroes of the faith, they're the legends, they are the guys who part the Red Seas and see all these miracles happen. And and it's easy just to kind of think, well, I could never do that. But actually, when you get stuck into these stories, you begin to see that actually these were just ordinary people. And what really marks them out is that they were ordinary people that really knew how to pray that really knew how to listen out to the voice of God and were just honest with him. Verse seven, Jonah says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. What if God had something in store for us that was even better than the greatest bit of advice that you could ever receive? What if he had something in store for us that was even better than all of the problems that we think we have just being fixed? What if he was beginning to shape us to look more like Jesus by teaching us how to pray? Because he knows us better than anybody else. Yeah, he knows how many hairs we've had on our heads since the day we were born, but he's not just some distant cosmic scientist. He's our father. And he knitted us together. He knows exactly how our brains work, better than any psychologist. He knows how our hearts work, and he knows what it is to feel. He is our great father. 
So why bother making this God your knee-jerk reaction? Why in your distress would you call on the Lord? Well, also he's the bringer of truth. He's the bringer of true and supernatural peace in the storms of life. Maybe you've never experienced that and we want to pray that for you tonight. He's the healer of hearts and he's also the ultimate physician. So with all that, all that in light, why do we and why would we ignore the one person who holds the authority to calm the wind and the waves in the storms of our lives? Praying with hope when you hit rock bottom doesn't just save us, but it forms us from the ground up. The way we pray will form us and shape us as his children, as his disciples, looking to the one who we can't see, but who knows us and is powerful and is compassionate beyond measure. When we do that, when we've got nothing left, it means that your prayers and his answers will begin to transform the lives that we live. This is something um, from Isaiah that I learned and that we can learn about, the way that God hears and answers our prayers. It says, this is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. Maybe it's not felt like that, crying out to him. But we believe that's true. I have heard your prayer and I've seen your tears. God's heart is moved by our cries of distress, and they don't just disappear into nothing. He hears our prayers. One of the interesting things about Jonah's prayer in chapter two is actually, maybe you don't know this, but it's the most unoriginal prayer that you've ever read in your whole life. Um, And actually, we can get the next slide up. Um, What I want you to do, just for 30 seconds, on the left, I'm gonna get into my teacher mode here, On the left, you've got Jonah. On the right, you have a selection of psalms. Psalms are from the Bible, their prayers and songs are mainly of this king called David. And what I want to do is have a look at those. You've got 30 seconds, and then turn to the person beside you where you've met them or not, and I want want you to tell them what you notice about the two things together. Up for that? Come on, the sun's shining. Up for that? Yeah, okay. Take your time. Some of the Eagle Eye University Challenge people are straight onto it. Some of you are still just reading the first few, that's okay. Anybody want to shout out what they notice in the most obvious exercise that you've ever completed in your life? They're the same. They are the same. Hands up if you got that. Well done. Give yourself a little pat on the back. Um, Almost the whole of Jonah's prayer that we've read and I've been speaking about is stolen. He's nicked it. You can't just do that, can you? There must have been some copyright infringement or something going on um, back there. If Jonah was here tonight and he was stood here, I'd say, Jonah, I like your story, but you're a phony. Get your own prayers, mate. He's not actually there, I'm just getting into character. Um, And even though Jonah was a bit of a plank, he was the plank who walked the plank in chapter one, um, I think he'd actually nailed down 
something that quite a lot of us haven't got yet. And, and this is it. If you want to pray with hope when life sucks, learn to pray other people's prayers. If you want to pray with hope when life sucks, learn to pray other people's prayers. Carl calls it piggybacking of other people's grace. But actually when you're feeling low, when you're feeling guilty or upset, the last thing that you need is to feel an extra pressure to come up with something eloquent and original. I've got a book of Celtic prayer that I use when I've just, I don't know what to say to God, when I'm half asleep or when I'm just feeling rubbish, where I can connect to God through the, the prayers that people have prayed over centuries. And I've got friends that just like to repeat the word Maranatha, come quickly, Lord, again and again, when they don't know what to say. Jonah went to David's Psalms. As we've seen, he knew them inside out. And from the way this story is written, his prayers in the belly of the fish were a real turning point in his story. And actually, that's why we do stuff like Rooted. Maybe you've never heard of Rooted. We pray the Lord's Prayer every day at midday. Thousands of people over this city, hopefully, and over this country and and in this nation. Our Father, who art in heaven, somebody else's prayer, brings us together, forms us, shapes us. Because we don't do this alone. We do this together as we look around and we see the people saying this, saying the same stuff, but we also do this standing in the footsteps of the giants of prayer that have gone before us. Jesus hit rock bottom once. His friends had deserted him. The people he came to heal had turned against him, and the Son of God was dying on a cross. My God, my God, Why have you forsaken me, he prayed. The words of David from Psalm 22. When you've got no words left of your own, pray someone else's prayers. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit, Jonah says. In the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Jonah's rock-bottom prayer came when he had nowhere left to go. It was a prayer of desperation, yeah, but it was also a prayer of war. Jonah was in a battle. Maybe it doesn't seem like that, but he was in a real battle. It wasn't against the guys from Assyria, the big baddies in Nineveh. It wasn't even against the fish that he was in. He was probably just chilling out, enjoying that. I don't know. But actually, he was in a battle with himself. In verse 8, it says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. I'll read that again. Let's get that into our heads. He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And actually, he was preaching to himself. He was telling us what's happened in his own story because in his case, and in so many of our cases, the idol that he was clinging to, it wasn't money or sex or stuff or rock and roll. Actually, it was just being in control. He desperately wanted to stay in charge of everything in his life. It was his ego that was driving his ambition, not his desire to get involved in the mission plan of God. I wonder if anybody can relate to that from time to time, wanting to be in the driving seat of your life. And I'm I'm not talking about whether you've got a 20-year plan for your life, which is great, 
or a 20-minute plan for your life like I do. Um, maybe a bit longer than that because I'm going to preach for another hour or so. But that sense of being in charge. Actually, who's the boss? Who's, who's, who's calling the shots? Who are you following in your life? And where do you really struggle to surrender control? Maybe it isn't even an ego thing. It's a dependency thing. Who can I really rely on? Or it's a pride thing. It's proving the whole world wrong. Like that X factor kind of vibe where, you know, I'm going to make this on my own. I'm going to prove everybody wrong and show them that I'm a distinctly average singer. (laughs) So it's a bit of a cheap shot. Tim Keller says this about idols. Should be just up behind me. He says, An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy and your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. Maybe that resonates a little bit. When an idol gets a grip on your heart, it spins out a whole set of false definitions of success and failure and happiness and sadness, and it redefines reality in terms of itself. Where has your reality been taken from God's reality and shifted? Where does success and failure really get you up and down in life? What are the things that you really, really care about? Is it work? Is it sport? Is it family and travel? Is it even just being liked, wanting to be popular? What are the idols that we have fashioned? And where do we need to ask together this evening for God to set us free. Because it seemed that Jonah spent almost all of his time thinking about himself, not of others. Even in this short prayer that we've read out, he mentions himself 24 times. He's got a problem. (laughs) Jonah is not the hero of our story. He would make a rubbish Frodo Baggins If you gave him the ring, he'd just go off and, I don't know, he would head in the opposite direction of Mordor, just saunter off. Jonah's life was all about Jonah. The great women and men of God are those who give everything they have for those around them. That verse that says, greater love has no man than he who would lay his life down for his friends. And I know that so many of us are already on that path with God looking to give the stuff and the friendships that he's given us to bless those around you. But still, we sing that song here, don't we, at Central, quite often in the evenings. I'm not going to sing it. Um, I let go of all I have just to have all of you. That's big. That is big stuff. So I'm going to ask you then, what do we need to let go of before God can really use us, before he can really shape us? from the ground up. Have a look at verse 5. It says, Seaweed was wrapped all around my head. So what I want you to do is turn to the person beside you and tell them that they've got seaweed wrapped all around their head. Shock horror. It's not literal. (laughs) But it does lead us to that question. 
What is it that is limiting us from our potential with God? What is stopping us from actually just seeing Jesus? What have we not surrendered fully to him? Reading Jonah's prayer, and this prayer is like a window into our humanity, but also to God's mercy. Reading this prayer is an opportunity for all of us together to ask that question. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Because once you've truly tasted God's extravagant love for you, and it is amazing how much God loves us, why would you want to turn to anything else? And around this place in, in, the, in his prayer, something clicks inside of him. He just gets it. The penny drops when he realizes that actually this story is not about him. He does this 180 and he says suddenly from nowhere, with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you, God. With shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you, God. What a change of heart he's had. And notice he doesn't say, with murmurs of disguised content, I will mumble and look at the floor as I recognize your goodness in my life. He says, with shouts of grateful praise. My dad is a conductor over in Glasgow. He's a very talented guy. Um, He's always got music going through his head. It's normally some really technical symphony. So I'll try to have a chat with him. All right, Dad, how's it going? Haven't seen you in a few months. Um, How are things? Um, Good. And he might ask me a question, and I'll start telling him all about my life. And after a while, he'll just completely stop listening to me and start just doing this, just conducting, maybe just humming a little bit. And I'm like, Dad, come on, that's pretty rude. I mean, I know you're into your music and stuff, but come on. I've not seen you in ages. But actually, it's not just him. I'm exactly the same. Every time I ever do anything, I've got music swirling around my head, and I can't, I can't get rid of it. Actually, it's just it's learning to live with it. And actually, it's quite fun most of the time. But I'm sorry if any of you try and have a conversation with me, and I just go off on one and just start whistling or something like that. But actually, it has its pluses as well, because I've had this song that we sing Um, In the evenings, we start singing it in in the last month or so. Um, To our God, we lift up one voice. To our God, we lift up one song, singing hallelujah. We praise you, God. And I haven't been able to get out of my head for about six months. It's really annoying sometimes. But actually, this is one of the prayers that my life would be a song that I lift up to him that is beginning to shape the way that I think the way that I live. So I want to ask you, what's your prayer? Actually, we're getting into these rhythms and these patterns and a way of thinking and of singing inside of our heads that is going to lead us to have these 180 turns where suddenly we know who God is and we can see his goodness and his faithfulness in our lives. Do you know this evening that there is nothing better than to be in the presence of God? And by that... I mean, there's nothing better than to know that you're known by him. Nothing better to know that you're loved by him. Nothing better than to know that you're cherished and even that you're sent by him, that he trusts you to carry his message into the world. There's nothing better than that. So let's go after that together. What idols do we need to lay down to allow God to take control in our hearts and in our minds? What has to die in us 
so that God can live in us. So we're coming towards a close. Um, Aaron spoke last week in the evening, and Kay spoke last week in the morning, and both of them did an amazing job at unpacking what happened in verse one, uh, in chapter one. At the end of chapter one, it says, um, basically, it just says, and then this fish gobbled up Jonah, and everyone's like, "What? What did you say? This isn't with that fish." And none of those guys spoke about the fish, and I just basically think they bottled it. They just got a little bit scared, and they thought, "No, I'm going to leave that to Thomas." in week two. And actually, I've been praying, guys, I want you to know this, I've been searching the scriptures, and I very much think um, that it's a week three thing um, (laughs) for Carl to to help us really understand what's going on with the fish. Do you know what? You might think I'm sidestepping it. Actually, I'm so up for, for some chats about this at another stage. But this story was never about a fish. We can talk about it till the cows come home, but this is quite obviously and clearly, and it'd be so silly of us to not treat it like this, is a story about God and his extravagant mercy for his wayward and quite silly people. Jesus talked about Jonah, not because he was a massive fan of David Attenborough's Blue Planet, and he wanted to see what everyone else in Israel thought about that episode when they've got that baby humpback whale and it's getting eaten by the killer whales and it's all very distressing. Not because of that, but because symbolically this story represents so much of God's gospel story of redemption and of rescue. God is the hero of this story, not Jonah. And I'm going to spell this out really simply, really clearly. God heard Jonah's cry, he heard his prayer, and he answered it. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and God rescued him. God is our rescuer. God is our rescuer. His mercy is extravagant, we don't deserve it. It's also unstoppable. You can run. I was going to say you can run, but you can't hide, but that sounds a bit weird, and that doesn't really mean anything. You can run, but he's going to search after you, because that's how far his love goes. Despite everything, he spat him out of that fish, and he got him back on track. Kay said last week that the fish is a place of grace, and I agree. Actually, you think we've got a slide? The fish is the place of grace. See what I did there? God heard Jonah's cry. And he heard the cry of our broken humanity as well. And his own heart broke and he sent himself. God sent Jesus for us. To rescue us. God is our rescuer. I'm not going to make it any more simple than that. And Jesus predicted his own suffering when he spoke about Jonah. He said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, and he was talking about himself, 
will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And this is it, isn't it? That God so loved us that he himself hit rock bottom so that we who were rock bottom could be lifted up and called the children of God. So that we could be dusted off and given new names and given new clothes and sent back out there to tell people about the kingdom of God, about the good news of this message of rescue and hope and redemption. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. God raises up his people from despair. He raises us and he restores us. He's restoring this world. And that's why we bother praying for God's kingdom to come. Back to that Lord's prayer. Back to that praying someone else's prayer. Because we believe that he's alive and he's at work in our world. And it's not just about us being rescued, actually. He picks us up and he says, right, go. Go, I'm, I'm going with you. But I'm not finished with the world that you live in. That's why we kill ourselves here at Central, trying to work out what it means and looks like for us to do mission in our communities. We have failed. But God is faithful and still wants to use us. Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish was the beginning, not the end of the story for him. And our disobedience, this is really important that we know this, no matter what you've done, our disobedience is not the final chapter with God. There is hope in this message. In fact, it's at the end of ourselves that we truly meet with God. In our weakness, we can see his strength. We can let his spirit, and we're talking about Pentecost where God sent his spirit. It's only when we can truly admit that we don't really bring that much to the table that we can allow God's spirit to work in us. So just another one of someone else's prayer, um, prayers to finish off. I think we got this um, behind us. It says, the Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. That's our God. That's what he's interested in. Upholding all who fall and lifting up all those that will bow down and worship him. This picture that we're given from this chapter that he kind of vomits us back into the world. And I'm sure he would clean us out a little bit. He restores us and he recommissions us. And there is hope in following Jesus. So should we pray together for a bit? I wonder whether we could stand together, um, if you're able, just to do that. And we've talked about um, praying other people's prayers, but I'm just going to give a bit of quiet and a bit of silence just for you to um, really be honest with God, just in your heart, in your mind, in the silence um, of where you're at with him on this journey of mission.
and he wants to give you everything that you need to go and live this life. And he wants to cement in our hearts um, our identity as his forgiven people. And he wants to bless us with just the knowledge of his presence. And we were talking about hands and, and just showing to God um, how serious we are about relating to him. And maybe if you want to, you don't have to at all. You might just want to hold your hands just in front of you and just ask to be filled um, with God. Ask to be filled with the knowledge that God is with you. And you can just say, God, I want to know you more. God, I want to give up control. I want to surrender my life to you in the same way that you surrendered everything you had so that I could know this freedom. And God, we want to say thank you so much, Lord. We want to say thank you that you've lifted us from the pit, that you've, you saw that we were in the realm of dead and your heart broke for us. And so you sent us Jesus, and that isn't the most amazing gift and the most amazing sacrifice that there has ever been. Help us, Lord, just to see you. Help us, Lord, to lay down the things that stop us from being the people that you've called us to be. Even more than that, Lord, we pray that we would know your grace tonight. Another one of those songs, a thousand times we fail, but your mercy always remains because this story is about you. And we pray that this place here um, of your people would be a guilt-free place right now. Actually, that's not God's plan for, for us. Actually, he took our guilt and our shame when he died on the cross. And all we know now is freedom. And God, we thank you that you're the God of restoration. That you make beautiful things out of the ashes. You're the God that sends us and as we ask just to be filled with your spirit, we pray that you would send us as well. Give us courage to go. And more than that, give us faith that you're alive. And that this message of your presence and your goodness will flow through us when we go. Let's just keep asking God just to fill us with his spirit. And we thank you for your love, Lord. And maybe if you don't know what to do just now and you're feeling like it's a bit awkward in the silence, you could just say, just keep saying thank you in your head. 
or out loud or whatever you want to do, you could just think about Jesus. Think about what he's done. Think about what he's promised us. And just say, I want to I know more of that.